And now another episode of Mind Escape with Michael and Maurice. Take it away, Michael. All right, folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have uh, episode number 43 today, and we're going to be talking about alchemy and ibogaine uh, with Alex, the uh, head of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. Um, check us out at Mike and Maurice Mind Escape.com and uh, Patreon.com backslash Mike and Maurice. So without further ado, we have uh, Alex here. How you doing, Alex? Hi, how are you? Good, good. Uh, so we had been going back and forth a little bit on Twitter. Uh, I checked out your page. Actually, the odd thing is, is I had listened to your podcast a couple times, uh, and I, actually I really liked it. Uh, the format's really cool. You do a lot of uh, interviews, but you also piece you know clips together and, like I was saying, like sound effects and different stuff. So you actually kind of have a really cool... Um, format for your podcast because most people kind of do the same thing or just different versions of the same thing but i found yours kind of refreshing in that way so um but uh let's start out with alchemy because i do know a bit about alchemy uh we've never done an episode on it on the show uh but why don't you describe what you think alchemy is or your definition of alchemy well, I've been uh, studying alchemy for uh, probably 20 years, and uh, I'm, I don't consider myself an expert in what is called practical alchemy or laboratory alchemy. Uh, I'm more interested in the spiritual aspects, although I consider both spiritual alchemy and practical alchemy to be uh, equal. I mean... You need both to have the complete picture of alchemy. Uh, but where I am a bit different than more traditional alchemists is the traditional alchemists, they work with uh, minerals or plants or substances, and they try to somehow create uh, either the elixir of life or the philosopher's stone, which can transmute any substance into gold. And that's where I think they got a bit wrong. Um, whereas, you know, with my experience studying shamanism, uh, I have come to recently actually to the conclusion that alchemy is basically the modern version, and modern I mean 2000 years, a modern version of shamanism, because what the shaman does is actually alchemy. The shaman uh, is working with plants and substances and creates potions. Um, and with uh, the shamanic work, they do create uh, lead into gold, but more in a spiritual sense. But in essence, you know, alchemy is about transforming one thing into another thing. So now, hypothetically, like, so what you're saying is it's somebody that can transfer, transmute or whatever. I mean, I agree with you from the spiritual end of things. That's the alchemy that I've studied a little bit about and learned about. I've read, you know, the Emerald Tablets of Thoth and all that kind of stuff, talking about how the purpose of humanity is to transmute uh, darkness into light is pretty much what I got from that book. Um, but if you are... Let's say you grow pot. Would just 
that consider you kind of like an alchemist from a practical standpoint or would it be somebody that turns pot into like an extract type of a thing? I guess you, I think you would have to turn it into an extract, but also if you uh, work with cannabis, you can, um, you know, you could just sit around and smoke it and not do anything about it. But if you consciously ceremony in ceremony, like eat a lot of it and, you know, right. go forward that way, it becomes more like spiritual alchemy. There is actually a book. I did a podcast a while back called, uh, um, actually I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically, I was talking to this alchemist who was making alchemical elixirs, uh, from cannabis specifically. So it, it's, uh, a whole science in itself, uh, you could say. And, and these elixirs oh, yeah. are like a stronger or more uh, healing version of just cannabis as it is. So I recently just read a paper somebody else posted online, another group I'm in, uh, Tail Leaders. And one of the articles was about a study they did with... Uh, um, default network mode are you familiar with that with the brain where you know we go when we do psychedelics you kind of people have this like reset or ego dissolving experience but in this one paper they were describing how pot um allows you to keep the ego through that so it's like the one psychedelic that allows you to stay within that ego realm but in the default mode network what do you think about that in terms of compared to other psychedelics, do you see that? Or is that just, do you think it's people not respecting it as much as the other ones since people do it kind of on a daily basis, usually people that use it? Yeah, I can't really answer because I've never used cannabis in a, uh, a good way. Uh, I more yeah. used it as a, you know, drug. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's your honest, man. I mean, I appreciate that. Uh, and I've stopped. I actually, I don't know if you're all familiar with the uh, Graham Hancock story of when he went down to the Amazon and Ayahuasca yeah, yeah, told yeah. him to stop smoking. Yeah. yeah. Well, exactly the same thing happened to me. So I also stopped. Yeah. Maybe so, I should stop. <laughs> was that a, was, so that was an Ayahuasca experience or just a, a just a general kind of like an enlightenment moment or what was going on there? Well, uh, the reason I started smoking cannabis was because it made me feel normal. So it actually made me normal. Uh, But then working with uh, ayahuasca uh, for a few years, um, eventually the ayahuasca said to me, which sounds strange, but it told me that, uh, well, it's over now. You don't need this anymore. And I don't need it anymore. I'm normal. I, I feel normal without it, you know. So to, to, if I, if, because like maybe once a year, I, I have friends in Amsterdam. So once a year I might go to Amsterdam, I might smoke a joint. But when I do, you know, 10 years ago, I could smoke 10 joints and, mm-hmm. you know, do my taxes. But now if I smoke like two puffs, I just, I, I almost faint. I st- yeah, no tolerance <laughs> I, I'm actually there. allergic to it now. So <laughs> it's because uh, before I needed it to be normal. Now when I'm already, you know, when I'm cured in that aspect, it becomes too much. Yeah, so I feel like a lot of, the, I feel like a lot of the people that have these ayahuasca experiences, they come out of it and they, uh, 
normal life is enough for them, it seems. They don't need drugs or whatever. Maybe that's the, the goal we all need to strive to get to. I'm not against cannabis, though. I, it's just not for me. Yeah. I mean, I look, you know, I had really bad OCD. I've used plant medicine to heal myself with, you know, CBD, THC extracts. And I also, um, in the past, when I was younger, used uh, psilocybin, you know, because that's... And, and they're actually doing a lot of research with that right now for healing depression and anxiety and stuff like that, too, microdosing it. So... Um, I do think that there's something to all that. Like you said, you fixed yourself. And then the same thing for me, I don't need to do anything else now because I reset myself, rewired my brain kind of in a way and got back on a normal, you know, path or at least carved a new path. So, um, so I can definitely relate to that. Um, what in terms of the alchemy realm, you said, you know, more of a spiritual side of things. Uh, is there any books that you've read or any research that you've done that's kind of taken you in a direction where you've had some sort of synchronicities or is it just something that you've always been geared towards? Well, I'm quite, kind of bibliophile, so I actually collect alchemical books and I just, uh, I love those books. <laughs> uh, so it's hard to point at a particular one. Uh, it's also, also to digest into a few sentences because it's almost like a synchronistic chaos alchemy. But one of my favorite alchemists is this guy called Paracelsus, who was like, um, a, a, he's a forgotten Leonardo da Vinci, you could say, like most people don't know who he is. Yeah, I've but heard he, of him. He was a genius, and uh, uh, the most—he's—he's he's the only alchemist. He's also very respected in the alchemical communities. Like, um, but he's the—he's the only with Paracelsus. I found a direct link between psychedelics and alchemy because my argument is that the philosopher's stone is is DMT. But uh, an alchemist would say there's no proof. Uh, so it's all, the proof is more like uh, the way you interpret things. But they can't prove they're right either because it's all written in code. So uh, right. but, um, Paracelsus in like uh, 1520, like 500 years ago, he was traveling a lot throughout Europe because he he was a doctor, but he viewed the doctor of his the doctors of his day as, as money grabbing imbeciles and morons. Okay. And he, he was quite vocal <laughs> in his disgust for how they were practicing medicine. And uh, he was always chased out of town because he was so truthful. And he wrote his book in the common tongue. Uh, in those days you wrote in Latin. So normal people couldn't really know what the doctors knew, but he wrote his books in normal language and he always went traveling uh, to find uh, the, um, the housewives because he viewed them as having the greatest knowledge of medicine, which is kind of like the old wise woman or, you know, in, in those days, you know, the mother of the family. She knew all the cures. Right, right. And uh, at one point he got uh, kind of kidnapped by the Tartars, which are the, uh, you know, the people of Genghis Khan. Uh, um, and they're a shamanic, nomadic kind of tribe. And um, they are close to the Amanita Muscaria tradition of yeah, psychedelic use. Siberian uh, shamanis, uh, shamanism, right? Because 
I mean, if you look at Amanita muscaria, a lot of it's predominantly Siberian. You look at like northern Russia, northern, you know, that area. Exactly. And uh, and when he was with them, he uh, he uh, started out as a captive and then he became, you know, their friend and he became regarded as a healer and a holy man. And uh, I think it is there where he had uh, a shamanic experience. But, you know, all this is um, just interpretation, of course. So did he ever have, Does did he ever write that in any of his work that he had an experience with Amanita uh, Muscaria or? No, proof like that doesn't exist. But gotcha. he, he's the only alchemist that had connection with, uh, a direct connection with uh, a shamanic tribe. Uh, because otherwise they keep to themselves. Right. Uh, because I, I, if you if you really study the laboratory part of alchemy and uh, even the uh, allegorical parts, and you study shamanism, it is to me anyway. It's very clear that it goes hand in hand, and um, even the way they use their symbols in their art, the shamans or the alchemists, is very similar. So uh, uh, I think the alchemist is just a modern form of shamanism. And um, the difference is that uh, the really modern alchemists these days, Dave, they are only interested in laboratory work. So um, they've forgotten the, the spiritual side. And just to note, yeah, though, oh, go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say a lot of scientists or whatever have, have forgotten that spiritual side. Absolutely. Um, I was just going to say, you know, with our modern technology and everything, um, you know, obviously you can look at the ancients and say they had maybe more of a spiritual um, side of things that we don't have anymore. Well, I think since we have more of a technological side, I mean, if you look at what they're able to do, they are able to turn most metals into gold. I mean, you can look it up. There's different programs that have it on there, but it's not a lot. Like they take like, it's like a minute amount. And what they do is they change the the format, you know, through this process and they're able to turn, you know, mercury or, you know, iron, different things into gold, but it's like a very small amount. It wouldn't be worth it to do it on a practical level because of how much time and effort and everything it costs to do. I can add that Paracelsus, there is some writing of him where he, he just says that the medicine of the Tartars was rooted in faith and imagination and drawing on herbal remedies. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite close to just saying psychedelics, I think. Right. When was he, when was he alive, uh, roughly? 500 years ago. Okay. So it was more of like the kind of what? Maurice was talking about the almost the scientific revolution where there was art and science and everything kind of combined um, into one. Yeah, he was a bit earlier. He was one of the few people who started to uh, see that people who were mentally insane were not insane because in those days they were locking them up. And um, he, he, he has this famous quote that uh, he's most known for, even people who are not into alchemy might have heard it. And it goes like, it's, it's um, everything. I mean, no, how does it go? It goes, uh, the difference between poison and medicine is dosage. Mm, that makes oh, sense. Yeah. 
So it looks like he was born in 1493 in Switzerland. Yes, how exactly. Long he, how long did he, what, how, what age did he die? Does it say? Uh, yeah. Uh, not not that age, old. He died. He died in 1541, so okay. you don't want you don't want my math skills. We'll be here all night. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it, look, I think a lot of these guys, they're probably just tons of tinkering going on. Um, do you think that some of these guys during that age, um, forget about like the Mayans and different things, but do you think some of these Europeans and different people that were studying all this stuff, do you think they knew about DMT and all that kind of stuff? You, you know, you said you mentioned Amanita muscaria, but do you think, you know, because there's a lot of suggestive stuff out there about ancients using DMT and that kind of stuff too. Um, I mean, I just read the uh, DMT and the Soul of Prophecy by Rick Straussman, and that's kind of about, um, you know, more of a religious base where it's almost like God's handpicking people for these DMT releases is kind of what the draw uh, takeaway from that book is. But do you think that these were just experiences they were having, or do you think they were creating this stuff or what do you think uh, in terms of that, that realm? I'm not sure about the DMT. I mean, the one you can smoke, uh, I mean, I've heard, different versions and uh, you know some say it's you know they didn't have the equipment to extract the dmt but um i've been thinking lately about how could you extract dmt without using modern equipment or techniques uh, um, but you know the mushroom is everywhere that's and, true uh, i'm pretty sure they use that uh, in some way it would, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I did a podcast recently where somebody said to me that, you know, they have lots of friends who smoke cannabis every day, but if you look in their diaries, there's not one mention of it. Uh, meaning That's that, interesting, you yeah. know, but, but on, on the other hand, if you look in my diaries, <laughs> that's all I talk about. So I don't know. Well, aren't these basically diaries? Like, isn't your podcast kind of a diary? I mean, I know ours kind of is. We've talked about a lot about personal stuff and, you know, different things. So, I mean, in a way, I mean, I don't know how much you share of your personal stuff on your podcast, you know, but I, I know from listening to your podcast, there's a lot of stuff that you relate to um, that you're, you're, you know, the episodes about and stuff like that. And same thing for ours, you know, we try and relate our personal experiences the best we can to the topic at hand. So, um, you know, if you were, everybody would go back and listen to every single one of your podcasts or one of our podcasts, they'd probably be able to put a picture together of a roundabout of what we're, what we've been studying or, you know, doing kind of a thing. Yeah, it's kind of like that. And, uh, I'm a big, my, one of my creeds is the Terrence McKenna thing about, uh, direct experience. So, uh, that's really the only thing I can talk from. So, uh, I mean, nobody knows, we, we've been talking about alchemy, nobody knows and, you know, nobody has direct experience uh, from those times. So I can only speak of the direct experience I have had studying this stuff myself, but I mean, I guess it's as good as, good as anybody else's. Now, you know, the most famous quotes probably, um, as below, so above, as above, so below kind of a thing, um, that's obviously the most famous one. Do you believe that's true? 
from what you've studied? Yeah, it also goes as without, so within. Um, the the nice thing with alchemy is because it talks about what that quote describes is the macrocosm and the microcosm, and the you know alchemy can seem complicated when you start reading those alchemical books, but when you if you really get into it and you try to look at the world from an alchemical perspective, it starts to make sense. It's kind of like seeing the matrix because if you know anything big that happens in your life it also happens in a small way or if you're sometimes if you're like feeling a certain way the city you live in seems to be in that way and you know how the universe looks is also what it looks like if you use a microscope and go way way deep into uh, you know when you Right. Look quantum in level, yeah, yeah, quantum level looks quite similar, um, so, uh, and so you know, and the, uh, the galaxy can look like an eye and all that stuff. So uh, I think it it's all uh, as above, so below is all very similar, because uh, most religious people and the problem, uh, I don't think it's like that from the beginning, but the problem with the major religions is that they view nature and God as separate, whereas more in alchemical terms, they're just more yin and yang. So they're right. the same thing. And so it's above, so below. And it's just different states. And and like Paracelsus says, because I, there's no such thing as unnatural and there's no such thing as poison uh, or medicine. It's just dosage. I mean, Nuclear power is bad, but in the right dosage which and in the right set and setting where it should be, maybe it shouldn't be above ground or where right. people are, you know, maybe it should be in space in a certain dosage in a spaceship or something. Maybe well, they that's use, the they use radiation. To... Yeah, they use radiation to cure cancer too, but that same radiation can give you cancer as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all uh, in the dosage and how you look at it. Nothing's really good or bad. It's just a uh, perspective. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting take too. Cause like you said, you look into an eyeball and it, it does, it looks like anybody that's tripped, <laughs> tripped or taken something and looked in the mirror and looked intensely into their own eyes. It's a whole different ball game when you start doing that. But, um, from but what the about the uh, the DMT molecule and how it resembles? What is that? What was that star? You know, oh well, our buddy Aaron Voot wrote a book called Spirit in the Sky, where he, he correlates the Orion, um, uh, you know, constellation to the the chemical structure of DMT. It kind of re- resembles it from you know the standpoint of the uh, the hunter looking uh, thing. So, uh, but yeah, I mean. That's all his takeaway from that too is uh, so, so, you know, as above, so below. What I was going to say is uh, look at our bodies. And, and, and I was thinking about this the other day. If you have some sort of like messed up gut or leaky gut or something, you're craving this bad shit and you're eating all this terrible stuff or you've got, you know, some sort of disease or whatever, and it, it's causing you on a micro level, these things in your body can determine what you want to eat, how, how you're going to feel, you know? So, and, and we kind of do the same thing externally, but it, I just was thinking into that, you know, like 
we're not even in control of our own bodies all the time too. Some of the chemical makeup that we have within us determines things that we do. So. Yeah, that's true. And, um, I think also if you look at your gut as your alchemical furnace, um, and that's more how the shamans, I mean, the way you treat your stomach, the stomach is the most important part of the body. It's the engine. So, uh, and what happens when you put like sugar in a car in the, where you put the gas, <laughs> yeah, that's a good <laughs> analogy. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Um, and, um, um, so you can look at the body as an alchemical laboratory. And if you really go down that rabbit hole, you, you can, uh, uh, well, you can talk about that for hours, but uh, <laughs> it's quite complicated. But well, I mean, that's where most of our serotonin is too. So, I mean, isn't that the whole purpose of an ayahuasca thing? Is obviously to to disable the serotonin or the uh, receptors with the uh, MAOI inhibitor, and then allow the DMT to get in there and do its thing. So, um, but what's your uh, what's your take on the whole? Um, Ibogaine treatment thing with um, in terms of treating people with drug addiction. I know that's anything I've searched for it online and done research. Like I said, I don't know a ton about it. It's probably you know I've tried most of the other psychedelics, know a lot about them, but ibogaine is one of those ones where I know very little about. I know yeah, it's, I've never even heard of this shit. I know it's it comes from Africa. I know what is it? The uh, pygmy tribe was the first to. Um, synthesize it or use it in a lot of their ceremonies uh, is what I read. But uh, why don't you describe it and talk about the effects and um, how it can help people? Yeah, well, they don't really synthesize it. Uh, ibogaine is um, I didn't actually... Mean, I just mean turn it into the... Isn't that the byproduct of iboga tree, though? No, well, I'll, it's like this, uh, iboga or sacred wood, as it's called. That's why okay. I like to refer to it as holy wood, like Hollywood, holy wood. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's probably a lot more productive than actual Hollywood. Uh, iboga, it, it is called tabernante iboga and um, it's a root and you churn that or grind that root into uh, powder, and that's what you eat. You don't need to do anything. It's finished. It's like the mushroom. Just gotcha. grind it and eat it. Ibogaine is an extract from iboga, and ibogaine is just one of, I think, uh, uh, like 10 or 11 co compounds. So iboga is the complete uh, thing. Ibogaine is just a tiny part of iboga. And um, the reason these um, like treatment centers around the world to heal addiction is using ibogaine is because it's easier to use. You can, when you extract it, you can make sure it's exactly the same amount for each patient. And the, it goes through your system quicker. So after like 24 hours, you should be normal. You know, the trip is completely over and you can be cured in that. But the problem with Ibogaine is that uh, it's, uh, it's, not the, it's not Iboga. It's only a little part of it. 
Sure. Because the iboga contains a lot of other things that nobody knows really what they're doing. <laughs> but it's it's a, it's more of a, a complete medicine, whereas ibogaine might focus on just this addictive bit. Iboga can is in more an all-round cure. That's why with ayahuasca, if you smoke DMT, that's just 50% of the ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. The other is the chakruna bit in the ayahuasca. But the ayahuasca bit in ayahuasca is not is the one is the MAOI inhibitor. But it's not only that, it's also um very uh, a good uh a substance to clean out uh, parasites and and those kind of things in the body. So it's it's very just to eat the ayahuasca on its own without the chakruna. It's also a medicine, right? So um, uh, I've only done the iboga. I haven't done the ibogaine. It's yeah. more like a, a modern thing. Um, and um, like I said, ibogaine. After like 24 hours, you should be back to normal. But iboga can last for weeks. Wow. And I had a friend who was, I mean, it took him a little over a week to be normal. But it took him at least a year to feel completely like normal. (laughs) So it can be very long. (laughs) Um, My own... uh, He's quite sensitive, but my own experience lasted a few days, uh, so it wasn't too bad. Uh, and the thing when you do the iboga ceremony, you eat as many spoons of this powder as you want. So that's why, unlike ibogaine, if you eat 50 spoons or if you eat 10, you know, it depends And how big is the spoon. It's hard to measure, you know, so. Right, right. Is the, is the ibogaine adding anything? Like you said, there's different components to it. Is it, is the extract, do they, they add external things that are not part of the iboga tree? Is that what you're saying? Or is it kind of like all the derivatives, almost like eating pot, how it uh, breaks down differently in your liver than actually smoking pot kind of a thing? Um, let's, well, if, if Iboga is Coca-Cola, then Ibogaine is just the sugar, not other things, you know? Okay. So it's like just one tiny bit of the pie. (laughs) Can they be different concoctions too, or is it all usually the same concoctions to make the Ibogaine? No, it's just, um, it's just extracts the, what they have termed ibogaine from the iboga gotcha it's like just take out that one bit one component okay yeah and throw away the other 10 bits so it's it is similar then to maybe doing an ayahuasca ceremony as opposed to just smoking the dmt like you said it sounds like that's the best analogy yes uh, i uh yeah, I prefer ayahuasca over smoking DMT because it feels like it's missing something. And ibogaine, I haven't tried, so I don't know. But uh, iboga is would be the same equivalent, and um, it's also like? you know what? natural. Okay, what was your trip like? Like, what was what was the experience like? Well, I've done iboga twice. One time uh, in Gabon in the traditional setting. And then uh, one time at home, because um, uh, I know some iboga people in England and they 
they sent me a, f- a few uh, um, pills. I mean, they, it wasn't pills, but they just emptied pills and put iboga in it. Right, right. Um, uh, just a small dose. And uh, for me, I mean, I don't know how it is for anybody else, but the interesting thing with iboga is that all the other psychedelics are, uh, you know, visually stunning, very colorful. And even though you can see things that are realistic, like maybe you can see if you see a snake or a being or something, it's all a bit fantasy. Like it can look a bit weird. It might be realistic, but it's not like it's not a hundred percent human being. Or it's if you see a cat or in a vision, it is a cat, but it might be a green yellow cat glowing or. I mean, it's hard to explain, but you know what I mean. Like it's right. It's um, flowing patterns. Like it's stuff that's already there, but it's just kind of transformed a little bit. Yeah, it's like uh, it's more uh, magical and uh, Alice in Wonderland, and you know, like fantasy kind of thing. But iboga is real. I mean, it's uh, there's no. uh, I mean, if you see. A person, that's a person. You don't, it's not, it's, that's why it can be extremely confusing when it lasts for a few days, because if you're still in the trip, uh, I mean, if, if I take ayahuasca now and I walk down the street, I can tell the difference between my trip and the street. But with the iboga, there's no difference. It's the same. It looks the same. Uh, Yeah. So uh, that's been my experience, and it's um, and the interesting thing with it is that uh, the people. I mean, on ayahuasca, I've seen strange beings or what you would call aliens. I don't know what they were <clears throat> on DMT, even weirder creatures. Uh, but on iboga, all I've seen, as far as beings, has been ancestral Africans. That's like uh, black people from thousands of years ago and super realistic. I mean, like you could shake their hand. Um, do you think you were so maybe like tapped into some other metaphysical thing or do you think this was your imagination concocting this or what do you think was going on? Because what you're saying, if you do believe in the metaphysical, you could have been very well seen something that you wouldn't normally be able to see not on it well the the bewitted uh, that's what is called um, this kind of uh, tradition uh, they say that and and the shamans in that tradition is called and gangas they say that uh, no that's what you see i mean that's what why you take iboga you meet your ancestors mm. it's interesting have you ever had that experience in anything else? I know you said they're different, but have you ever had, I know people see ancient people on ayahuasca and stuff like that. I know usually when people smoke DMT, it's a little bit more intense and they see aliens or love entities or whatever, but uh, machine elves, people call them. Um, but uh, so have you ever felt that on anything else or was this the first time where you kind of felt like a connection to some sort of history to it? I've felt it a kinda in other other times but not like iboga it was so 
so clear. In fact, I've told this on uh, not uh, on my own podcast a few times because it was so funny. But I remember because the thing with the iboga ceremony is you prepare for a week, then you do the ceremony, and then you try to get back to normality for a week. So you only do one ceremony. Gotcha. And um, at first I thought like, because when I go down to Amazon, you do like seven ceremonies in 10 days. So I was like one ceremony in two <laughs> weeks. Uh, and then when I had taken all the iboga and the experience had started, it after a while... I was a bit like upset because I'm thinking like, well, all these people here dancing because there were people dancing and, and singing at the ceremony. But, you know, I was thinking like, oh, I must have done something wrong because uh, I'm not getting any visions. You know, I went all the way to Africa. Uh, something went wrong. I don't know. It didn't work. You know, I guess I'll have to just sit and watch these people dance and run around. Yeah, and that, aren't that, real. <laughs> yeah, I opened my eyes and uh, I realized that there was, it was not, it was, I mean, the vision was so real. I didn't even know I had right. it. You know? Yeah, that's crazy. That sounds like, um, I was watching this video guy, this guy was talking about a peyote. He took a lot of peyote and he said he had a similar where he was meeting ancient Indian ancestors and he thought he was taught it thought it was real life but then he like kind of woke up from this like dream even though he wasn't in sleeping or anything it's just kind of similar to kind of what you're describing right now but um from a standpoint of let's talk about how it helps people because I, I i do I'm, I'm a big proponent of plant medicine helping people in certain you know scenarios i know they're doing all these trials with ptsd and depression and anxiety um and from what i've read the ibogaine like we said helps people with drug addiction. Do you know anybody that's had an experience with that? Or do you know anybody that's used it to help themselves get through something similar? Oh yeah. I've, I know quite a few people that have been come that's cured them. They, they've cured themselves with Iboga. And, um, it, so it is a kind of a miracle medicine when it comes to that. Uh, I only used it for spiritual and, uh, sure culture or interest in the indigenous culture, but mm-hmm. uh, I wouldn't recommend, I mean, I have uh, one f- acquaintance that uses Iboga as part of their spiritual path. You know, they use it now and again, and you can use it like that. But uh, for me, uh, it's, it's, um, it's too strong a medicine. I, 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 uh, I, uh, I, if I would recommend anybody to like, okay, take this psychedelic to work on your spiritual path, I wouldn't recommend Iboga. Uh, it's, um, what it's, would you recommend? No, then you could, you know, mushrooms or yeah. ayahuasca if you want to go a bit deeper, but I think mushrooms uh, are the, are the word, man. Honestly, I if just, <laughs> I mean, I, I did them when I was younger a lot, you know, like kind of just being a stupid kid. But, um, like I said, there came a day where I was in a bad place and, uh, try, after trying everything, pharmaceuticals and CBT therapy and actual, uh, going through the steps of all the stuff that they recommend and, clinical stuff, just nothing helped. So, you know, I think that it helps for people to know that there are other options out there. If you are one of those people where conventional stuff is kind of let you down. So 
Um, but I do think that mushroom, there's something about mushrooms that it's like a full effect. It's mind, body, spirit. I feel like it's everything. It's not just one of those components. The only downside with the mushroom is that there might be the northern Russia on that, but it's uh, either dead or or very secretive. But there's no real uh, traditional use of taking them. I mean, there were in Mexico also, of course. Yeah, the uh, Marina Sabina. That, yeah, but how she did it, I don't know. But uh, but with ayahuasca and iboga, it's a clear, distinct way they do it, and. Uh, they, I always say that like my uh, my healing ceremonies with ayahuasca and iboga 50% of it is not the substance it's the ceremony and um um so I would always if people can it it's much better to try and so, do it with So those. you're saying it's like the purge the eco rose all that kind of stuff um, that goes along with it when you're going through one of these ceremonies, the singing, the chanting, the the blessings, all the different, you know, little things that they do. I don't know, actually, do you ever watch Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia? Because I think he does a good job of showing the full, you know, ceremony that you have to go through for a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I've, I haven't seen it. I've, I've seen, I've, I haven't seen it properly, no, but I know of it. It's definitely worth checking out, especially since you're into all this kind of stuff. I highly recommend it. There's a few good episodes in there where, you know, they make him the one where he goes down to, uh, I think it's, he's doing salvia, uh, with an ancient healer and, uh, she's making him clean toilets and do all sorts of stuff beforehand, you know, and he's purging and eating a certain diet and that kind of stuff. So, um, but I think, you know, uh, what you're saying makes sense if you're going down for an ayahuasca ceremony and don't they i mean in your experience do they make you change your diet or do anything beforehand to to uh take part in these rituals yeah i do a diet like a month before and a month after so uh yeah the diet is very important because it puts you in the right state of mind it's kind of like stretching before you're going going to do a you know take part in the Olympics or something, you train and stretch before you actually compete, you know? Right. Uh, I mean, um, you, you get more from it if you do that. And I try to do that when I do any psychedelic at home, I try to, uh, uh, I try to set a date and not do it on the spur of the moment, you know, work my way up to it and have a clear intention and, uh, do a lot of different rituals around it because it does. I've tried not doing that and it was uh, not good. <laughs> uh, so I think for me, the, I don't know, everybody's different, but that's how I like it. And uh, it's because I, um, uh, I just copy what I've seen the indigenous communities that I've done it with, how they do it. So I just copy what they do because I'm thinking, well, they've done it for thousands of years probably. So they're probably onto something. Yes, sir. Is it a specific diet for like a specific ritual that you're doing or is it just all you do the same kind of a thing or what do you do? Like what's your, your, uh, your diet like? Um, well, my diet, uh, actually now my diet is always the same. Uh, it's evolved from my experiences and uh, I have a diet that's a bit 
because I've been through them all. Sure. Vegan, vegetarian, eating meat, uh, whatever you call them. Mm-hmm. I think mine is called microbiotic, but I'm not sure. Basically, it's a very simple diet. I eat everything as long as it's not a mammal. Mm, interesting. Because uh, my like lots theory... Lots of seafood and fish and that kind of stuff. Well, or just vegetables. It doesn't matter vegetable, as long as yeah, it's yeah. not a mammal. Because, again, uh, if you think in alchemical terms... Uh, mammal is cannibalism. And st- there's well, well-documented scientific research that shows what happens if you're a cannibal. I mean, it's not good for the... I mean, communities that have y- y- been y- using cannibalistic diets, they sure. usually become corrupt in their genes. It's not so good. And uh, So what do you think? Uh, it's like the hormones in the mammals or... Uh you know, anything from that aspect of things? Or do you think, I mean, because look, if you drink milk from a cow, we're not really supposed to be doing that. People point to that as like a big issue when it comes to like hormone, you know, even if you look at like adolescent kids, they've done studies of them drinking certain types of milk and stuff like that and having different hormone problems and uh, mutations there. So, I mean, do you think it's something along those lines or do you think it's something else? Well, that's, I mean, depends on what, they pump into the cows, but right, it's right. all natural. Well, here, in, here in the U.S., it's probably gross shit. I'm just going to say the reason why European people are so skinny and they still, you know, France, they're all eating all day long, but they're so skinny. You know, it comes down to our wheat, how it's been genetically modified to have more of a, a harvest, you know, than let's say a non-modified wheat. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we do here that they don't do in other places. Yeah, but I don't have anything against if what people eat. I'm not uh, like one of those vegan radicals or something like that. But no, no, uh, I think it matters just, though for sure. Uh, I just, uh, I just stay away from mammals because for me that would be cannibalism, and um, um, I think that uh, uh, you know because I was vegetarian for a long time. Mm-hmm. But after my many years of working with ayahuasca, I'm like, well, plants are more intelligent than animals. So, I mean, it would be more right. morally correct to eat animals. So it, that doesn't work. And uh, uh, so I kind of said the same thing, too. He said something. He's like, I'd be remiss or something if I'd eat something that's more intelligent than a lot of the, the animal life. I think he was talking about plants. Well, a study just came out saying that mollusks are actually more uh, complex uh, creatures than you know plants are. So I don't know. Yeah. So uh, yeah, like you clams mean, and stuff. You know, he's like, I got to go back to vegetarian now. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, every basically also in alchemical in alchemy perspective is everything is alive. There's no way you're gonna survive this life without killing something. So, yeah. uh, so do you I think just, it's the least impact? You're looking for like the least footprint or least impact on that sort of a thing, or no? It's just like most people agree you shouldn't be a cannibal, right? So I just extend that to all mammals. And I mean, also I'm a huge the, animal lover too. I, I I think about that too sometimes. I'm like, fuck this, you know. Even and, you know, chicken sometimes, but I do love chicken. And indigenous, I mean, the indigenous communities I've been with, they usually try to stay away from red meat or yeah. they, they are, uh, their diet is 
is similar. And, and they said one interesting thing is that when you, because they might eat meat, but they've, when they hunt, it's a bit different because they, I mean, it's very common in the African hunting tribes to, uh, uh, um, make a connection with the animal and ask the herd to provide one of the animals. And then they follow that animal and eat it. So it's more like a, a trade kind of thing. But, um, uh, they said that when you eat the slaughter animal, and this always stuck with me, one, it was one of the Shipibo shamans or maestros, uh, uh, she said that when you eat a slaughtered animal, in like a factor in that you're the problem is not uh, how they've uh, what they put into the animal or what the animal has been eating and that or that you're killing an animal the problem is that you're eating fear mm-hmm. that makes sense but so you're eating the wrong energy that i mean that makes a lot so, i mean that you could say that i think uh a big one for that would be lobster boiling this thing you can hear it screaming in the, the pot you know and then uh, ingesting that thing, even though it's a high-end delight. I, I don't know. I think twice. <laughs> and it is a delight. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I can definitely get, I've actually heard that before and it made a lot of sense. And, and especially when you bring it up now in, in the context of what we're talking about um, that, and, and I, do you think that it has something to do maybe too? maybe that animals releasing some sort of, um, fear endogenous chemicals that are not great for us. They do either. release shit when they die. Yeah. They release all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, there might be something to that for sure. I mean, it's, it's a very complicated topic, but I, I think for me, the most important thing is to try, and I've tried to do this as much as possible, is that whatever I eat, doesn't matter if it's a plant or an animal, I just try to like be thankful. Mm-hmm. I mean, something died so I can live, you know, and one day I'll die. And, uh, you know, um, so I think that's important. Um, and I used to, when I was younger, I used to, cause, um, I used to like in my mind, ridicule those that prayed before they ate their food. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, yep. But I've seen it from a different perspective now. I mean, uh, yeah, I ridicule. They pray to Jesus for their food, but uh, I've more like come around now to the thing that you know I don't don't pray for the food. I'm more like just grateful for right. the food, and I hope it didn't suffer too much, or you know, send my love to w- w- wherever it is. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I mean if you look at like what you're doing, what we've been trying to do, I think the whole there's this whole like little movement happening with podcast, YouTube, different platforms where um, people are waking up to this stuff. And it does, I don't think you necessarily, like you're saying you can change things or do things, but I think it has more to do with just being conscious of it and aware of it and respecting things and understanding things. And I think we're a society that's kind of lost its spirituality, um, whether you're religious or not. I do think that if, even if you don't believe in, Jesus or God or whatever, you can still have personal spirituality. And I don't think that there's a lot of people out there that think along those lines anymore. Everybody's just pretty much a, a reductionist and, and not even know it. You know, they're just born into this world. They think that's all there is and they think that's all there will be, you know? So I think that that has a lot to do with the choices people make too. They're like, Oh, this is my one time around. I'm going to do what I want to do and not think about it. So. 
Yeah, I remember when I was younger, I was uh, I became at one point a hardcore atheist, and I completely like a punk rocker, you know, hated all religions. But yeah. now today, I uh, all religions are my religion. You know, I don't none is better. I like them all. I study them all, uh, and uh, we because you have to remember that uh, it's not the priest in the church or in the imam in the mosque that's not the religion and right. what the, those institutions have done that's not the religion i'm just i'm looking at the i'm trying always to look at the, what's it actually what what's what are those texts saying what's in the religion you know and, and they all the root always goes it all always always comes back down to some sort of pagan which is even later but right shamanism it all comes down to shamanism so i i would say that shamanism is my religion but shamanism is not really a religion uh, but it it uh, all religions are are interesting and i i like them all and uh, i i uh, sometimes like people get confused like that because sometimes i might be like uh, a few months ago i uh, i was heavily into hinduism for a while and then, uh, you know, after that, I was immersed myself in Islam and <laughs> I just take, you know, it's like watching different TV series, you know, I just right. binge, binge uh, that religion for a while and you always learn something from them. They're yeah, all, they they're all, all interesting. To offer, you know? I remember a few Christmases ago, I was, uh, I was listening to this, uh, I don't know if you know Krishna does. Yeah. Yes, uh, he chants uh, Hare Krishna. I think I've heard him on uh, Duncan Trussell's podcast a couple times. Yeah, he. Uh, I was listening to his music on. It was Christmas. I was listening to his music, uh, and I was reading a book about Sufi Sufism, which is uh, the mysticism yeah. of Islam, and it was on Christmas uh, Eve. And uh, we were celebrating uh, Jesus Christ, you know. <laughs> so I was like combining right. all three whoa, at once. Whoa, bro! Whoa, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we talked about that on like one of our first episodes. I never understood why all the religions couldn't, at some point, come together and at least find the common ground. You know, there is common ground. I mean, like you. Do I also do? I research and study all the religions. I grew up Roman Catholic, but um, towards my teens, started to be like questioning things, and you know, I almost you know at an early age had blind faith and thought, oh, everybody goes to heaven, and oh, this is how it is, and that's not how it is at all. Um, and I think that uh, I'm not saying that there's not another plane or there's life after death. I, I do believe that there is those things. I just don't believe it's being represented in the right way, or maybe it's game big game of telephone where it's passed on so many generations or so many years where it's kind of lost its actual uh, message, if you will. But I do the same thing, but except, you know, for me, I, I look at the commonalities between everything. And uh, as much as all these religions hate each other and there's been wars and holy wars and all sorts of stuff, um, some of them do have common messages and they just don't realize it. Yeah, that's true. And uh, and uh, when many of those religions were formed, they didn't hate each other. It's more a, a later thing, you know. Right. I mean, uh, 
um, all the different prophets usually spoke well of the other prophets of different religions. I mean, when you call something Christianity and Islam or whatever you call it, that's something we we put a name of the a name on those things. You know, many right. years later, so it wasn't like all those things in the yeah. time. You know, it's like uh, we don't know what our era right now is going to be called in a hundred years. You know, you know. Is it going to be it, called like the be Renaissance? Called idiocracy. Or, yeah, or idiocracy. <laughs> the turds. Yeah. Um, no, I, I mean, I agree with you. It's like we don't, we don't have the perspective. I mean, we think we're so advanced because of our technology and stuff. But like I just said, we're so, we've lost so many, I think, messages from the past that, I mean, that's why I study all this stuff. You know, you, you brought up Han- Graham Hancock. That was like one of my first catalyst was getting fingerprints of the gods a few years ago and then getting back into personal spirituality esoteric knowledge you know that kind of i mean i read this book we talked about a lot on here too the urantia papers there was a lot of cool stuff in there and you like i never dive wholly into anything but i like to take pieces of certain things that resonate with me you know and i think that's ultimately leading to the truth for myself um not that you have to take these things at what they are as a whole and believe it wholly or have faith in it like that. But I think if you take the messages from these things, you can use them for good stuff in your own life. Also with psychedelics, I really enjoy the psychedelic perspective because it's always feels so fresh. It's like a year or two ago when the debate about a round or spherical earth or a flat earth was very popular. <laughs> oh, it's still going on, baby. It's, it's yeah, still, it's still raging. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, yeah. Oh, anyway, yeah. W- when I entered those debates, people talking about no, it's round, it's flat. I, I always went, it's n- need. There is no Earth. <laughs> right. It doesn't exist. <laughs> we could be a simulation or a hologram. I mean, that's uh, we've talked about that on here too. There's no, there's no reason not to think that we're not, um, you know, not necessarily like robots, but. The way we look at robots, I mean, think about it. We can build these things that build other things, or we can build things with intelligence. Who's not to say that we're not that to something else, you know? There is, um, it's called Aluna. It's a very good film. Everybody should check it out. It's about an indigenous group in uh, Colombia, I think. And uh, they're called the Kogi. And uh, they have a, a creation myth that I find really good. And uh, basically they call their god is Aluna. And um, basically it goes something along the lines of uh, uh, she was the mother and she conceived the world in darkness as she conceived us as ideas, like how we imagine a house before we build it, that's how, how she did it. She spun the thread, spinning us in the story, creating us in thought, and then came the light and the world was real. I like that's the one I like I've heard that's the one I like the most of all the different creation myths. But uh, this thing about it's just uh, a thought, you know. A dream. Well, that's kinda like uh, Gnosticism a little bit, like Sophia emanating from God. Is it what that what you just said kind of reminded me of? Um, mm, that's true. And gnosticism but, is also I I uh, I charted like this: shamanism into gnosticism into alchemy. 
uh, if I if it's very simplified, that's sure. how I look at it. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, and, and you know, the first time I started reading about Gnosticism, um, I was like, yeah, this is a little crazy. But then the more I thought about it, I'm like, there's a lot of thought-provoking stuff in there. And like I said, when we were just talking about religions, even if you don't believe something, to just think of it as an idea might give you more insight on yourself or your own life or what's going on for you, you know? So that's why I like all that stuff. Yeah, I, I uh, love the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Philip. Oh, yeah. I read them a lot. And uh, there's many What's of the one those? part in Gospel of Thomas where uh, the kid fell off the roof and they thought Jesus pushed him off the roof. And then uh, he brought the kid back to life and the, the, the kid tells everybody, no, Jesus didn't kill me. I mean, that's probably one of the most mystical things that out of the Gospel of Thomas. Mm-hmm. I like uh, the bit about... Uh, if you don't receive the resurrection while you live, how will you receive it when you die? Um, right. So that's why I always try to do a psychedelic ritual during Easter. Mm. What do you think about the whole San Pedro thing being St. Peter, like the key to heaven kind of a thing? What do you think about that? Uh, I actually never heard that, but why not? But although it's <laughs> two completely different continents. Right. No, it is. But it's, it seems like... Um, like I was talking about Hamilton's pharmacopoeia, when he goes to South America, a lot of these rituals are based on Jesus. These shamans are using almost Christianity and Jesus and Catholicism as like a platform. I can explain that. It They do that in Gabon as well. That They're actually using Catholic words or images sometimes. The reason mm-hmm. for that is persecution. Uh, because the, those uh, shamans in Africa and Latin America, they were, you know, they were devil worshippers, and gotcha. uh, they tried to kill them all. And uh, the only way to survive was to, okay, we're not praying to Mother Ayahuasca, we're praying to the Virgin Mary. And that's how, that's why. So it's just uh, uh, that it's the same. So, with so alchemy. it's almost like a mask, just to get through the door kind of, or do your thing is it yeah. doing your thing. Just leave me alone. <laughs> it's the same with alchemy. Alchemists were also killed uh, because they were devil worshipers or doing Sorcerers satanic stuff. Or, and yeah. uh, so that's why it's all coded, you know? So do you think though, now that these cultures, it's been part of that for a while, do you think these people, is it still, they, they're, they're, they know of what you're talking about as it being a mask or do you think that they've embraced Catholicism now because it is some sort of like handed down thing and they, they don't know about what we're talking about as it being a mask. Well, if you really get into the, like for instance, the Jesus story and you study the new Testament and you study the Gnostic Jesus and you really look into it and try to understand his concept of uh, uh, love. And then you take uh, ayahuasca and, uh, you know, you, you will experience uh, Jesus' energy. If you call it Jesus or Mother Ayahuasca or wisdom, it's the same. So it doesn't really matter, actually. Yeah. It's just words. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, quite- I was going to say, though, what do you, in terms of, uh, like, you know, you look at some work like um, 
Are you familiar with Rudolf Steiner and like Christ consciousness and that kind of stuff? Um, I'm familiar. Not uh, I, I haven't read any of his work. Only secondhand. Like other people have written about him. You know that kind of thing. Do you think it's possible to maybe tap into that kind of an energy um, through, you know, just working on yourself and taking these things? Do you think it's possible to tap into um, what some people would consider this Christ consciousness, which is like this plane of not necessarily enlightenment, but just in, an introspective person that's going above and beyond to um, do the right thing and be a good person and that kind of stuff? Or do you think that, we're all just animals still trying to figure it out. Oh, you can get pretty close. It's very hard. You have to really work on it every oh, day. Absolutely. But it's uh, not our nature, that's for sure. Um, but I have on in one ayahuasca ceremony many years ago, I did during the ceremony uh, enter the complete full understanding of what it would feel like and what the God energy feels like and, and to see everything. I, I don't like the word God. I usually use the term divine mystery, but it doesn't matter what you call it, but you know, God, I guess most people call it. Um, you know, I had, and um, yeah, so I have had that experience. I mean, it was the most powerful uh, moment. I would probably class it as one of the, my daughter, my daughter and that is the two most uh, spectacular moments in my whole life. It was wow. completely, I mean, it's, it's undescribable and it's so powerful. And um, because, you know, anger and hate can feel very, I mean, if you, it's, perfect example is the Star Wars where he gets attracted to the dark side and you do, f- right. you do feel the power. It's very powerful. And, and it's easier to go along with it than it is to do the right thing. It's easier yeah. to do the wrong thing, keep feeding into it like a snowball than it is to just do the right thing the first time. Cause it's, again, I think it's against our nature, but this divine energy, it's like, does, I mean, uh, that anger, hate or evil or whatever you want to call it. It's nothing. It's nothing. What, it doesn't have what a was it like? Was it like pure awareness and like, um, uh, oh, it was, it was just pure awe. Um, okay. and I don't you, think you're going to be able to explain it. To <laughs> yeah, us. no, I, I know. I look, uh, I like asking people though, cause I like to hear all the different things so I can get an idea. Well, you know? it was like, uh, uh, it was the most beautiful thing you could ever see. It was just energy, eternal, uh, it was war, uh, loving, uh, and it's, um, it was like, you know, infinite and indestructible. And, uh, yeah, you, I mean, you know, the way you would cry if you saw a, a loved one die in front of you, you know, like the way you would, you know, you would cry in a different way sure. than watching a movie, you know, you would cry yeah. this like complete, like you breaking down kind of crying. I cried like that, wow. but not from sorrow, from complete awe. I mean, it was, uh, uh, yeah, it was, I, I um, it's can't really describe it, but well, that was pretty good. I mean, that was a good yeah. description. Actually, that's a common thing that you hear is pure love, uh, pure infinite love is a common thing I've heard with most people that have those experiences. Um, 
we'll we'll get to we'll ask you one more question, then we'll get out of here. But after all your studies and all your you know alchemy and taking all these psychedelics, you said you were a hardcore atheist. Do you believe in one God or a creator, or do you just believe that we are just you know I think a lot of people that do psychedelics think that we're the universe experiencing itself or you know, like that type of a thing. Like what's your takeaway from all this? Is this, you know, is this it or were we created? Is there more to it? I think, uh, I, I, I like the term divine mystery and, um, we're in it, you know? Um, and that's, I mean, you can't really, you will never really understand it. Mm -hmm. So it's better to like embrace the mystery and love the mystery rather than to try and waste time and completely understand it. It's good to understand it in the sense that how to improve your own life, but right. to find all you'll find out when you die. And I, I imagine that when you die, the mystery will become even bigger. You know, I don't think it would be like, Oh, here are all the answers. It's just like, <laughs> it's, it's just, just like gonna, another level. Like maybe yeah. we're in 3d right now, maybe 4d's just uh, another version of the same thing. Mm. But I, I do think it's important to think that uh, I do believe that uh, whatever spiritual evolution I do now uh, will, I mean, it continues, you know, I don't think you die. I think it's just, it's just like waking up from a dream and then you continue. So if you spend this life, if you waste this life, you're just going to waste the next one. You know, it's just, uh, you better sense. get on the horse now and, and do something. <laughs> <laughs> ride, no, baby, ride. That's, that's a, that's some great insight actually. So, uh, but thanks for coming on. Let's, let's plug your stuff, your website. Uh, what's your website? Oh, it's just a natural born alchemist. Okay. Natural born alchemist.com. And you have a, do you have a Patreon page? Yes. It's, uh, Patreon.com forward slash natural born alchemist. It's all natural born alchemist. And, and, uh, in social media, I think it's, uh, only Twitter where it's born alchemist. You can't have yeah. such a long name. <laughs> right. 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 Those Twitter bastards. <laughs> all right, Alex. Well, thank you for coming on. That was awesome. We got a lot of good stuff. I, I like, um, you know, having people on sometimes where I don't know a lot about the topic and I like to ask questions and get a, get a good grasp on an insight. And it seems like you've done a lot of work with all this stuff. So I appreciate you coming on and I look forward to listening to more of your podcast. Thank you. I yeah, appreciate awesome. it. Thank you. I appreciate it myself. It was fun. Cheers. Right. Well, we'll do it again. We'll find some other topics and uh, we'll get you back on here at some point in the future. So, but thanks for coming on and uh, you guys have a good day. Peace. Thanks.